to me, what I walked away from in all of the writing and years of writing that did not become the books I thought it would, but became this book was yes. that life never gives up on us. We give up on life. We block life. And we do it because of how we are, you know, how our brains work. We do it because of culture, not to take it personally. So how can you, in these ways that embrace your humanity, embrace the way your brain works, embrace the fact that change makes you feel undefended, how can you make that safe to open to life? Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle Lamoureux, and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. Have you ever asked yourself, why bother? Why bother moving forward after heartbreak, after creative and career defeats, after loss, after sidelining your dreams to pay off debt, raise kids, or take care of aging parents? If you've lost that spark and don't know how to get it reignited, then today's show is for you. Joining us is Jennifer Loudon, who for over 28 years has been a best-selling author and a leading voice on self-care and creative transformation. Jen has appeared on hundreds of media platforms, including The Oprah Winfrey Show. Her insights on wellness, mindfulness, creativity, and leading a meaningful life have reached millions of people worldwide. Now, Jen helped launch the concept of self-care with her 1992 best-selling debut book, The Woman's Comfort Book. She's also the author of five other books, including... Why Bother? Discover the Desire for What's Next. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. How do you rekindle that desire for what's next? How do you get in motion, especially after this really intense almost year and a half that we've had with the pandemic? And whether you've just been through some life changes that have left you questioning how to get that motivation to keep going forward. So looking forward to sharing today's conversation with you. All of the show notes can be found at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 135. So let's get into today's show. Here we go. Hey, Jen, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here today. I'm so happy you asked me. Thank you. Well, it's so fun for me because years ago, I want to say maybe four years ago, I had reached out to you uh, wondering about my potential career as a writer. I remember that. Yes. And we did. You did a kind of high level hour and a half deep dive with me. And it was funny because what we ended up talking about was the podcast. And I was telling you how I had had one and wanted to relaunch and you were fantastic with, you know, encouraging me and helping me get clear about, you know, the format and everything. So it's kind of fun to come now full circle and have you on here to be talking about your book, right? I love that. That's fantastic. That's really, really, life is not usually that tidy. (laughs) Right? I know. I kind of love that. And so that's why I was like, oh, this is so fun for me because you were just so wonderful. And um, I'm so excited to share your story and your work with my audience today. Um, Yeah, you're amazing. I mean, for those people who are familiar with you, they know that you essentially, you're one of the pioneers in the personal growth space and essentially launched the self-care movement for women. Um, And so I think it's fun for women to who are listening to get a sense of just your story and how things started. And I thought personally, I thought it might be nice to start where, um, you were letting go of the idea of becoming a screenwriter because writing's always been a part of your DNA. Like that was a non-negotiable. Um, but you got the idea for the Woman's Comfort Book, which was your first book and became a bestseller, which tells you you are aligned and you write, this isn't a story of getting what you want, but of letting go. And I was like, yes, this is so cool. So can you take us into this part of your story? Yeah, I always was creative. I always wanted to create. Um, 
I don't know that I wanted to do it necessarily from the pure place of wanting to be an artist, but I wanted to be different. I had that feeling growing up. Why aren't people more alive? Why aren't people more expressed? And so to me, the creative life was going to be the way to do that. Um, So, you know, I was young, lots of misconceptions, (laughs) Um, but I ended up going to film school at USC and I have a lot of learning disabilities and I, they weren't diagnosed until almost the end of college. So I had a deep story that I was stupid. I still deal with that. And when I went to film school, I thought, well, I'll be a director, right? We used to have this t-shirt. This was 1982, y'all. And the t-shirt was a dog sitting across from a desk from a guy. And the dog is saying, what I really want to do is direct. So you know, everyone wanted to do that. <laughs> and I realized that I didn't really, I mean, I was 19. I didn't have the, I didn't have the courage to do that. So I went towards editing, but yeah. because in those days we were actually on film editors I couldn't physically do it. I would mess it up because of my learning disability. Again, I didn't know why. And you're right. I had always written, but more accurately, I had always struggled to write. Mm. Um, it was. It's always been hard for me. Again, partly it's a hard thing to do and partly learning disability. So I, I emerged from film school deciding I wanted to be a screenwriter. I had some success at that in school, got an agent and really hit a wall after a few months, year. I don't remember. It's drinking too much. I couldn't. I was rewriting the same few pages of the screenplay. I was living in this little tiny 400 square foot guest house of these kind of crazy landlords who live next door to me. And it was just, <laughs> you know, my dog was having separation anxiety and ah, I was just awful. And I would, I would have this voice inside my head say, you just need to take care of yourself. You need to take a break. You need to take some time off. Why don't you go get a job in a bookstore? You know, why don't you go? I was really into gardening. Why don't you go get a job in a gardening store? And I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, that all sounds really good. Once I sell a screenplay for, I had a very specific number, $400,000. Cause mm-hmm. some friends had done that right out of mm-hmm. film school. Oh wow! And I kept pushing myself and pushing myself. And finally, one day I couldn't do it anymore. And I really had a moment of, I'm going to take, I think I said to myself, I'm going to take a break a month from writing. I don't think I thought I was going to stop forever, but I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. And I called a friend and it was a friend who had, was having more success as a writer who I had kind of mentored and I, to tell her I was going to quit writing for a while, Nicole. And she was like, oh, whatever, you know, she didn't care. And and not that she was a, not a nice person, but she just didn't realize how intense this was for me. And I hung up the phone with her and I had this deep, I mean, I, I still, I said in the book, I still can't describe it all these years later. It was like a falling, mm. uh, but I think it was truly a moment of surrender where I stopped making deals for my identity and my worth. Mm. Now, I did not know that at the time. Wow. What a statement. I love that. Making yeah. deals for my identity and my worth. Yeah. Yeah. I, Cause we do I, that, right? Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I still do it. I'm still working on it. Um, <laughs> wow. Yes. How many years later? 40 years later? <laughs> um, so anyway, out of that a moment or two later or a few minutes, I don't know. I, it's clearly as if you said it to me, I actually looked at the door. I thought someone had walked in the door and said it of my little apartment, uh, the woman's comfort book. And it was completely out of the blue. I never thought about writing a book. I didn't read self-help books. I had no idea what self-care meant. I mean, it was completely like, what? <laughs> um, and so then I, it took a couple of years. I pursued it while I would go back and forth with other, trying to be a screenwriter. And because change is never neat. Um, the marching band doesn't arrive. The angels don't arrive with the mm-hmm. <laughs> trump, tr- tr- whatever they have, those... Um, right, their trumpets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to say yes, this is the way to go. Right, and we and we go back and forth, and we make a lot of deals. But finally, I did write the book. Um, I wrote the book the way I thought I should write it. I called it my faux therapist voice um, because I was young and yeah, how old were you? Tell us. Oh, how you- I think I think I was twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah, twenty six, twenty. And it resonated though. Well, it was published when I was 29, so okay. it took a while. So it took okay. a few years for me to write it, and then it then it got re- rejected. I rewrote it the way I really originally, the, the original spark of the idea. And that's something I always tell creatives. Like, if you're getting off, you got to go back to that original spark, that feeling in your body, those first few notes that you wrote down. Mm. Um, 
we get lost in how we think things should be. And then, and then several big publishers wanted to buy it. And, um, and then it's, yeah, it really hit it. It was just the timing. It was all about timing. Yeah. But also you got, I call it like a inner whisper, that divine hit. I mean, for you to hear that voice so clearly, I can get those voices too, but it's so easy to actually just ignore that. Mm. So yeah. the fact because that you didn't at that age too, can you, I'm just curious, like you took it seriously, you listened. Well, I think, you know, again, I'm all about honesty. So I think that there, part of it was I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to make something. I wanted yeah. a career. I felt really desperate about that. Yeah. Um, and so I think there was a part of me, I'm very ambitious. I'm very driven. And that doesn't mean I'm good at many things because I'm not, but I'm like a terrier. I've had, I have one terrier still alive. And, you know, I'm like, when he gets his toy, <laughs> tries to break its neck, I'm like that. So I think that was part of it. But then yeah. I think on a, on a soul level, yeah. that book was trying, and then that, that body of work for the years that followed was trying to teach me yes. how to be kind to myself. Cause I really have always been like most of us just deeply difficult uh, to myself. So I think there was a, a grail aspect, if you will, or, a, um, you know, Hey, learn this because that's what I also think about our creative ideas. Mm-hmm. I tell all the creatives I work with, you actually, here's the secret, whether the project does what you want in the world, you are going to get all the benefits yeah. and you may really want those sales or those accolades or those awards or, or the promotion or whatever. And that's cool. but. Yeah. It's really not what lasts. What lasts is if you show up and let that work change you. But it's very scary because we think we need to already be the person who can produce the work, but we become the person who can produce the work by producing the work. Hugely important message. Hugely important. And it's really hard because our brains are not built for that. Our brains are like, "Mm, that seems really a waste of resources. (laughs) Yeah. My brain likes certainty. That's not the certain enough. Yeah. Our brains brains evolve to keep us alive and our brains are constantly right now. Our brains are going, do we have enough glucose? Is there enough salt? How is the oxygen? And our brain is not going, "Mm, how can we be creative here and live our best lives? (laughs) (laughs) Never. And that's what we're, but, and yet that's what we're talking about. And you still got that divine hit. You still got that whisper and, you know, it ultimately launched this incredible career for you. Yeah. I think about it for me, less of a divine hit and more, I think I listened to the zeitgeist. Zeitgeist. What does that mean? Well, the culture, the culture, Uh, I think we're constantly unconsciously, and I don't mean unconsciously in a young sense, but out of our working memory, picking up stuff. Interesting. We're constantly picking up stuff. We're sponges. And most of it is completely outside of our awareness. But Mm. when we do slow down and listen, or we get ourselves in such a pickle like I did, and we do want something, then I think things can break through. And then then we do have to go, hey, is that important? Can I fit that in? Is that true to me? Um, Because it was very much a timing question. And there were, in fact, there was another book that was being produced by another writer that was going to be called uh, The Woman's Book of Comfort. Oh, come on. Did it come out? No, because I called that publisher to do research or to get permission for something. And they all got off the phone with me and panicked and changed the title because my book was going to come out first. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) This happens all the time. I mean, how many times have you seen like two biopics about the same person come out in the same year or... I had a I had a writer I was working with who had a beautiful idea for a novel, and then someone a month later published that story. Yeah, you know? it's out there. Yeah. yeah, which doesn't mean we have to panic because I believe there's so much out there and so 100%. much that we can filter through our um, our unique way of seeing the world. But yeah. but it is good to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. No, this is so good. Um, so why bother? I love the duality in that. That was obviously by design. Can you tell us in your words about why bother? Like, tell us what that means. Yeah. To me, it's the question where we fall into and we think it's rhetorical. We think we know the answer. Well, there's no reason. It's too late. I'm too old. Uh, (laughs) 
you know, it's all been done before. It's all been said. Uh, I tried before and it didn't work. That's one of my favorite ones. If it was, I don't want to do it again. I don't want to try again. I don't want to be disappointed. My husband husband has no tolerance. He just rolls his eyes at me. He doesn't even say anything anymore. He's like, oh, I did it this morning in the kitchen. He's just like, don't, don't, just don't. Um, So we, we don't actually notice when we're saying these things to ourselves, we don't, we don't have an inquiry. Do I want to bother? Yeah. Do I care about this? Is is this my brain trying to keep me defended or what I call the emotional immune system, which Mm. is just basically like your physical immune system just says, don't go there. Don't go there. Let's go over here. We know how to do this. This is safe. You won't be humiliated. Um, You won't fail. Um, Yeah. And then I think that the deeper level is we easily fall into cultural from family and other patterns of what we're supposed to care about. And we don't allow those to change and evolve. True. And then we're in this stuck place, but then we might be getting that, those inner voices, literally the one that was audible for you. I mean, you mm-hmm. heard it uh, and not acting on it. I'm just going to read from page 15. Um, Cause I found this list really interesting. Um, you write, um, on the left is me during the lowest point of my longest why bother period. So this is also validating. We all have these why mm. the heck bother verses. Yeah, let's get my bother on, right? Yes, and we have them for an afternoon. We have them culturally for the pandemic. I mean, we've all yeah. been in 15, <laughs> whatever months now, I've lost track of in and out of this, you know, Adam Grant called it languishing or yes. he didn't name it, but that in the New York Times. And, yes. Um you know, so we experience it on so many levels and sometimes it just comes through for an afternoon and it's like, oh yeah, I actually don't want to write this right now, or I don't want to bother about this idea. I really do need to go get exercise. Right. Totally. <laughs> and it's, it can be this moment of listening, but it can also go on. Of course, for years, it can be just your marriage or your business, or it can be everything. Right. And, um, and then it can really take over the things that you do bother about and care about and, and wash them out. Absolutely. And you see, because of course I've experienced more than one and on the right is me now. And you can tell me if this is sort of like, you know, still in process of now, but creatively, the headlines are creatively defeated. And then on the right side, creatively determined. So from self-judging to welcoming all my experiences, crippling back ailment to pain-free and strong. I thought that one was interesting because that was a physical, Mm -hmm. Um, nobody likes me. The agent of my belonging. Love Mm. that. The agent of my belonging. Beautiful. Waiting for permission, giving myself permission. I'm not reading the whole list, but that's powerful. So let's say somebody is in that, you know, COVID fog of like, geez, I really, you know, I do want to bother, but I just can't even think about like, how do you get that light on again, that desire spark flaming enough to start getting in action? How did you do it? How did you get to that right side, of that page? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. There, that, <clears throat> it's definitely a practice. Some of those things I feel like, are, yeah, that's really, that's really, I don't really go back on that anymore. And, you know, <laughs> nice and to hear it, isn't like, it? Hmm. Yeah. I still have to work on that. I still that. <laughs> um, so I think that the thing that really, there's a couple things that keep us caught and one, or maybe three that I'm thinking of in this particular time in history. And one is that we uh, internalize and pathologize what it means to be human and what it means to be part of a, a human race that is a yeah. cultural experience. And we take it all on very personally. Mm-hmm. And we think that we need more willpower or that we need more discipline or we need a complicated plan. And, and it's not that those things aren't useful, but the first and foremost is we have to look at how we're built as humans. And we have yeah. to have a tremendous amount of uh, just humor about it, right? We're not built to take risks. We're not, we're built to stay on the couch. 
And we've been in a time that makes it much, much easier to do the things that are super comforting. And it's going to be hard to move out of them. And if we can just normalize that and normalize the fact that we're still dealing with a ton of uncertainty. It's very interesting. We have a lovely, close group of friends right in our neighborhood. And we all thought as soon as we were all fully vaccinated, we'd be like, party and come on, <laughs> let's go here. Let's go do that. And we, we're really cautious and we are all safe and we're all vaccinated. And yet we're still like finding ourselves like, well, maybe we'll just stay home and watch a movie tonight instead of invite people over. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us are feeling. So a lot of curiosity and grace about the fact that this has affected the uncertainty of this, the constant calculus of, is that safe or not safe? Uh, should I, where have they been? If I go for a walk with them, should I wear a mask? Should I, you know, all of that has worn us down and more mm-hmm. of some of us more than others, of course, for sure. depending on your life and depending on your risk factor, and yes. how much science you read and how much, you know, <laughs> you live with a scientist. Um, <laughs> And then the second thing is, is that we tend when we're in these why bother periods to want to make a complicated plan. We want to, we want that certain, we want to leap from where we're at to, to here, right. To wherever there is, where it'll be great again and juicy. And, and that can really keep us stuck too, because that plan feels overwhelming and hard. Yeah. And we also don't know we really want it because we're missing the key thing, which is desire, right? Yeah. Just like that, oh, I want that. So yeah. what I try to coach people to do in the book is or write people, write them, inspire them to do is you how can you cultivate little moments of desire to get that juice and life flowing again? And then that can begin to give you enough oomph to start to move forward, maybe on things that are more frightening for your brain. And I, and I think that's the part that we skip is feeding that desire again and getting used to desiring and making it okay to feel all the feelings of desire. Cause desire is not necessarily, it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's big. It's messy. I was talking to a client the other day and she was like, yeah, it's like, I want that. But then all the stories come up about, I shouldn't have that. And, and, but what if the rest of my family doesn't want that? And, you know, she's just like, it's it's sticky. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. completely. Okay. So can you give, I don't know, is there a a way to invite that in and honor it then? I mean, Mm -hmm. if we want those, can you give us some examples, maybe just even one example of something you do to just flame that desire and honor it versus shove it down and be like, no, I'm just going to sit and binge watch, you know, Bridgerton or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, was fun. It totally was. (laughs) Um, Yeah. We've been watching The Great on Hulu for anybody who needs a new show. I do. Very very, like if you didn't mind the racy, raciness of Bridgerton, this is even more racy and hysterical oh. and What's very, it very the great. I'll have it's to called the great. Then. So it's, it's based on Catherine the great, but it's, oh. um, but it is not, uh, I mean, it's historical, but it's not, Got it. Got it. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's That's very, funny. there's, there's lots of cursing and lots of sex. Um, <laughs> It's very funny. Um, so anyway, the thing the thing to do that really, really helps, and this is recharging in itself. So it's really, it could be useful for this time of transition is to set aside a small amount of time. It might be an hour. It might be two hours. Maybe if you're feeling really great, it could be a Saturday morning, maybe a whole day. And I call it a desire retreat and Mm. I write about it in the book, but it's very simple, which is you just set a clear beginning and end because that's less overwhelming to the parts of you that are like, Oh my God, I have to do that. Or I have to take care of so-and-so, or I need to fold the laundry or whatever it is. I need to write that client back. So, and, you know, make it small enough that you're not going to be overwhelmed by it. And then the only guidelines is you just keep asking yourself, what do I want? And you give it to yourself. And if you find yourself going, I don't want this anymore, you just as much as possible leave it. So I I tell a story in the book that once I did it, this was in our old house and I call it our old life. um, And I wanted to clean my books. I wanted to like take all my books down in my library and clean them and reorganize them. And halfway through, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. 
But then as when, when the desire retreat was over and life started again, I had no time to put my books back. So there was books all over my office. Oh, you for just weeks. Left us. <laughs> I had to, I had no time. And I was like, whatever, you know, eventually really? they'll get back up there. So, you know, maybe, you know, if you leave the kitchen a mess, if you leave your art materials out, you know, close the paint up and then just leave it, <laughs> it'll be okay. And what I find in my years of doing this and leading other people through it on the retreats that I lead is that it's, it's really teaches you to listen and it teaches you to listen to those little inklings and that in honoring, do I want tuna fish or do I want to drive over and get sushi takeout or do I want to take a nap? You, you begin to have a relationship, a relationship with desire and yourself. And it's also, there's something so doggone replenishing about not having one thing that you have to do right? Totally. Not one thing, not yes. one appointment. Like, so if you want, if you decide you want to go yeah. do yoga, I mean, I'd say go to yoga class, but I don't know if anyone's doing that anymore, you know, and then you don't go, you, you get to sit with, well, what do I really want? And, and just the whole richness and, and stickiness of that. Yeah. Curiosity and an invitation to just Get connected yeah. to what you yeah. want. That's yeah. What do, what do make I it want? Fun. Make it yeah. fun. Kids and sometimes it can time naturally. Yeah. 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 And, and, and people, some people get really triggered by the word desire. Hmm. And I wrote about it in the book that yeah. I chose it for a very good reason, because I think it's a one word feminist manifesto because women have been denied their desires yes. for most of most cultures, for most of humanity. And of course, Many, many, many of us have died for our desires. That's right. Yeah. So I like it. But if you don't like it, find another word. <laughs> I like it. It works yeah. for me, for sure. Um, so a lot of the women who listen and the things that I hear most consistently, we talked about, I love the word agency, but any advice for someone who's listening, who's lost her sense of confidence? Because this mm. is a piece of it. You know, you talked about feeling, you know, well, I'm too old. It's too late. It's been done mm -hmm. before. I failed before, you know a lot of women have pulled themselves out of something maybe that gave them that sense of agency, whether that was making money and now they're home with the kids and you sure. know, just different identity shifts along the way. So how does a woman regain her sense of agency in the world if she's feeling, and I know that's kind of a big question, but any suggestions on really just coming back to a sense of, of you and, and building that confidence when you really, you know, yeah. when you're really not feeling it? Yeah, I, I have to practice this all the time. I mean, I have things go south or not the way I imagined or want or, yeah, I'm constantly having to work on this. So one thing that I do is I try to stop bringing the past into this moment. Hmm. So, of course, that's so I try to put my attention on yeah. here instead of my attention on that didn't go the way I wanted, or they didn't email me back, or I didn't get that, you know, interview, you know, or so-and-so ignored me, you know, <laughs> here's my mind. <laughs> I can't believe they never emailed me back. <laughs> oh my God. That's my, yeah. I, that's my thing. Cause yeah. I don't know if it's like a cultural thing or just like politeness, but like you just reply. Yeah. Just reply. No, thank just you. Reply. Yeah. Anything just respond yeah. though, but respond right. like that's, respond. That's, that's, right. that's one of my pet peeves. I just right. think it's kind of rude to be honest, but so I'm with you on that one, but anyway, yeah. go ahead, please. so, so that's one thing. I just keep bringing my attention back to here. Um, I'm also trying to always learn to put my attention and, and what I'm doing on the process of having the life I want to have mm -hmm. versus the results. Mm. And again, I'm not saying that the result part of my brain isn't going, I want this, I want this, I want this. <laughs> Why didn't I get it? But then when I'm, you know, I'm 58 and I just lost a friend very suddenly. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, old friend. You know, we didn't, we weren't in touch a lot, but, you know, she came to my wedding, mm. my second wedding, so more recent. Yeah. And, um, you know, we would talk, you know, a couple of times a year and she died very suddenly. And, mm we all have those wake up calls and we've had a lot of them in this last year. And if they haven't happened to us, we, we, we see what's happening in India right now. We saw what happened in our country. Yes. Um, and hopefully it won't happen again if enough people get vaccinated, but yeah. So I'm like, all right, whose life do I want to have? And what kind of life do I want to have? And yeah. I've had enough both failure and success to go, you know, nothing actually really changes. Mm. 
nothing that's important to me really changes. If my book's on a bestseller list, I mean, it's nice. It's really nice. You're like, yay. Right. I won a book award last week. I'm like, yay. But oh. I'm like, did anything really change? No. But if I'm really was, I went for, um, I, I had knee surgery recently. I had some old metal from knee surgery in my twenties start to come out and oh, stick into my IT band. I know oh. it was quite strange feeling. So I had yeah. to have it out and yeah. slowly I've been able to get back to running and I just got cleared to just do whatever I want again go up trails and everything. And I'm like out for a run today. And it's, as I was telling you before we started, it's, I live in Colorado y'all and it's green right now and there's flowers and we're redoing our backyard and it's just so yummy. So I'm out for a run today. I'm like, that time anxiety can come up for me. Like you should be working and you got to get ready for this talk you got to give. And what about that? And you got to, got to do And I'm like, no, what am I going to remember when I'm dying? that I was here on this trail and I could feel the, the, the soft breeze on my feet, you know, skin. And I stopped and did a dance to the song I was listening to. And so that helps me because then confidence becomes more about my story about who I'm supposed to be mm. versus I'm here. And what's it like to show up and create uh, and, and just kind of keep like, Showing up, showing up, not hiding, but also knowing that I just, I never know what's going to happen with the results. And I'm telling you, this is much easier, y'all, when I've had a good night's sleep than when I haven't. (laughs) Well, maybe that's one of the tips. Make sure you're getting a good night's sleep because it's it's definitely one of the tips. And it's definitely harder at this age than it ever used to be. (laughs) We have been, my, my husband and I are hysterical. We have this giant drawer in our bathroom and every night we're like what are you going to take tonight <laughs> they're all you know Melatonin natural stuff yeah, yeah all different yeah. forms of the things that are supposed to help you sleep but we're always like Hilarious. mixing and matching like what do you think is going to work tonight I don't know. <laughs> what's the magic potion exactly <laughs> well it's so interesting you you said two different things you talked before about how desire can trigger some people or that's not their mm-hmm. favorite word but why you love it and also this pattern that actually sometimes maybe we're blocking ourselves from the ability to really have things be really good. And there's a beautiful moment in the book that you talk about where you're kind of nuzzled into your husband, Bob, and you're like, can I really have this? Like you were so happy, but it was scary as heck, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? It was. Why? Like talk to us about this piece of it. Cause I think actually a lot of the fear of starting sometimes can be fear of actually maybe their life will change for the better, but that's scary too. Yeah. Well, we're actually not afraid of change. Yeah. We're afraid of feeling undefended. And that's the work of Keegan and Leahy and at, at Harvard School of Education. Say what that so, means. Undefended. Did undefended. You say? So we, yeah. we want to, f- our brains and our bodies are like, okay, it, can anything eat me? Can anything destroy me? Can anything hurt me? And that's also emotional things. Emotional things are equated in our bodies. Beliefs are equated in our bodies with with our safety. Mm. You're seeing it in the U.S. with the huge political divide. And you're like, I don't understand. Why can't we talk to each other? Because we hold our beliefs when they are try, someone tries to change them or attack them or talk about them. We feel like we're going to be physically hurt. So my story. Is that what it is? That is because I'm really, I mean, I'm feeling that pain of that divide, like, and yeah. like it, it just, just being a human, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it's literally a fear of like a f- physical affront to your versus. Yeah, yeah. This is fascinating. Who's what's, yeah. what's the research out of? I'm going to look oh, that there, up. Oh, that, that, the reason the Keegan and Leahy is not research about that. Um, okay. There's a ton of research about who was I just reading? Oh shoot. I'm sorry. Come doggone it. I completely fell out of my head, but there's a ton of research about how belief is translated as a physical attack. Like you're physically attacking, I'm physically in danger. It's just interesting. It is. It's fascinating. And that's why we can't change each other's minds with facts. Oh, I know. It's Lisa Cron. Her new book, Story or Die, Story or Die, um, is a great resource for that research. Anyway, it's just interesting. Yeah. And uh, and she'll be on my podcast. I was like, I might have to invite her. <laughs> yeah, have her on your exactly. you love her. She's yeah. great. Have yeah. her on your podcast. Yeah. She, she's a great interview. Um, and so 
in my story with finding meeting Bob after my divorce and falling in love and just like, you know, here it is almost 14 years later, but that was, you know, the first year. And I kept pulling away from him and, and, and not that the things were complicated. I mean, both of us had stuff to deal with, with our marriages ending and our, we were blend, blending our families. And sure. I mean, there was plenty of real stuff, but there was also plenty of me holding myself back. And it took, it took learning about the brain and how we change, but it also took honestly, just Bob just being like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Oh, what a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. He's he really is. Yeah. You can tell in the book. I'm yeah. like, what a good guy. Yeah. He sounds like so the funny. best guy. Yeah. When I, when he didn't read the book until it was done and then I gave it to him and, oh my God, you want to talk about a squirmy moment in bed. And he's like, I know he's reading it and I'm over on my side of the bed going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And every now and then he would sigh or like, oh, I don't know, like a flaw. And, and then finally, then he's like, no, no, I really love it. He's like, I, I don't know. There's a lot about me. And I'm like, don't worry. You come off great. He does. I come Tell off him. like the ass. No, 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 you don't. But you're very transparent and very vulnerable. And uh, I think that's what makes it so good, you know, because you you really share so many um, moments and some really dark moments. Um, Writing, creativity, this is so much of the work that you do in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a part of you um, and not necessarily for everyone else, but it's also so healing for anyone. I'm just wondering, right? I'm just wondering, you know, any advice in using writing to get connected to those desires or just even, you know, um, just, yeah, to bring more of you back into your life. I mean, it's such a beautiful way to do it. I, I, I'm a huge fan, which is why I'm asking you, because this is literally, yeah. your, this is your work. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, there's a few things about writing. We don't know why it works. Yeah. No one has figured out what happens in your brain, but it works and the benefits are huge. But you don't have to do it in any particular way. You yeah. don't have to do it every day. It doesn't you have don't to be have morning to... pages as much no, as I love Julia like if, Cameron. Yeah, I know. Yeah, if none of that stuff works for you, I write when I'm confused, when I'm hurt, when I'm when I'm like, okay, something's going on here and I want to figure it out. And I created a journal to go with the book called Get Your Father On because that's, I like prompts sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes I just like to start writing, but sometimes yeah. prompts from other people can just get you through what I call the board place, the which board is you, place. the board, yeah, you know, you're bored place. with yourself because you, or you've complained <laughs> about the same thing yeah. and you need something to kind of Great. push you. So a yeah. prompt and then maybe keeping your hand moving mm. um, for a certain period of time, five minutes, three pages, something like that. Th- those can help you. In the second part of you, your book, you talk about, you know, the six stages of bothering mm-hmm. and the one that I think so many of us, I mean, we can relate to all of them, but this idea of being seen, mm. I think it's so powerful. And I don't know, I mean, the, this, maybe this is a second part or a different question, but I also was thinking about the validation when you were on Oprah, you know, wanting her to maybe see you or recognize you. And, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, when I went to coach with you, it was almost like I wanted you to anoint me as, yes, Michelle, you can be, a, you are a writer or something. And sure. yet what I did during the conversation was I steered it away from, I don't even think we talked about the writing. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't remember, but. No, I do. Because I think it was like, a, anyway, so it's just, you know, this idea of being seen, but then, you know, it's sort of this weird dance. Can you talk about this? Because I think it's really powerful. And I loved that you included this in the book. Yeah, it, it is really powerful. It's interesting. I think my work may be going in this direction to help people, women, see themselves more and, and develop the skills to be seen in their in their work. Yeah. Um, because it is so doggone frightening. It's just so frightening for women. And I think part of it goes back to the feel that we don't feel safe. Mm. We've, you know, whether we've been abused or traumatized or stalked, you know, or we've, we just know that it's out there and it's a possibility. So I think we really have to surface the fact that depending on how you want to be seen, I'm not talking about in a mentoring relationship or a intimate relationship, but more publicly, there, there can be some real downside to it. And we need to be smart about that as much as we can be. And then I also think it, it, it really comes down to seeing ourselves first, you know, and when I wanted to be on Oprah, 
I didn't know how to see myself. I didn't know how to say, I mean, this goes back to self-trust too, right? Yeah. I didn't know how to say, I value this. I made these things. And I was yeah. on Oprah. I'd already written four books. Wow. How, you know, old I you too? how old were you then too? Oh, uh, I had, I had Lily. Yeah. Um, so she was, a, she's 27. So she was a few years old. I think it was like 19, 1998. So I was born in 1962. I don't know. Do the math. <laughs> anyway, Sometime, somewhere in my thirties. Yeah. 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 Um, you were thirties, but you were still very yeah. young. Yeah. And I wanted, so that's true. And we have, and I have so much more compassion for that young woman who was totally. like, please tell me what I'm doing is okay. Right. right? And that's right. And your I, book was I already think, a bestseller and you had other bestsellers, like, right. I mean, you have yeah. huge careers, speaking gigs and everything. Yeah. But I think I was six or seven years <laughs> into it at that point. And yeah, but I wanted, I wanted her, I wanted someone and she, I yeah. picked her to say, sure. you're, you're good enough. This is good. Yeah. And what I didn't know at the time was that has to come from us. And that doesn't mean that we can't say, I want to get this degree or totally. I want, you know, we can decide, but we have to decide those things matter to us and why they matter to us. Yeah. And I think that also comes back to age and experience and it doesn't live out there. It doesn't live out there. It really lives in us. Yeah. And also being seen, I mean, you talk about relationships and having been closed off in the ways that maybe you weren't open to um, accepting invitations for whatever reason of, Mm -hmm. you know, protection, or I'd I'd rather you use your words Mm -hmm. or your experience around this. But I think a huge part of what women need more than ever is that sense of community. And I Mm -hmm. feel like you know, a lot of women I hear talk about, uh, and I experience this, I'm so blessed to have what met one of my most favorite people who's my dearest friend. Now we've known each other since our daughters were little, but she was really one of only like three women I met as a mom, you know, that Mm -hmm. I brought into my life, you know, as a, as in a new stage of my life, it's not an easy place to be sometimes, but community is important. Can you just talk, touch upon this a little bit? Yeah. I think sometimes we come into life with patterns of personality. And one of my patterns has always been, you don't like me, I don't belong. And what I didn't realize for so much of my life is I actually created that by the actions I took and the ways I didn't invite people into my life or that I didn't keep in touch with people. Like, it's just so obvious now. And it took Bob, Mr. Bob. Sweet Bob. um, (laughs) To be like, yeah, great Mr. Bob. Everybody loves Bob. Um, me. Um, it really took him kind of pointing out to me over and over again. Well, you know, it just seems like you, it might be you, <laughs> it might be you. And, and it was great because that really coincided with my last year um, where we used to live and we were moving here to Colorado for Bob's work. And I decided very consciously that I was going to break that pattern. And, and I did. I mean, it, it still creeps in. I still go into my creative cave and forget to keep in touch with people and stuff, but mm-hmm. I'm so much better at it. And we, and a lot of it, again, I think it was just luck. We, we stumbled into some really great friendships with people and I wasn't traveling. There was a period of time when I could say yes to a lot of stuff, but I forced myself to say yes to a lot of stuff that usually I would have been like, I'm so no, 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 thank you. (laughs) Right. It kind of goes back to that comfort of the couch that you talked about earlier. Yeah, exactly. And the comfort of our patterns and that, that, that moment that's so brief. I mean, it's like less than a quarter of a second that we can overcome that wanting to go back to what's familiar, wanting to go back to what's safe, what's known. And it's so important to have just tools that help get us over that hump and out, um, out the door or back to our creativity or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and I love the word tools. And I'm wondering, you know, the women listening are at various stages. Some are single, some have mm-hmm. young kids at home, some have aging parents they're taking care of. The kids are now out of the house. I mean, they're in different phases, but in the theme of why bother mm-hmm. in a, in the way of seeking the desire versus why the heck bother? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you, you know, based on your work and what you share, there's so many great tools in there. One or two that are your go-tos or that you mm-hmm. really come back to in your retreats with women that you just feel like, wow, this really gets them yeah. in the right direction. Yeah. I think the one that people have used for a lot of years that I finally wrote about in the book is conditions of enoughness. And that really seems to help people. And you can totally make this your own y'all, but it has four 
it has four elements. And the first one is you declare, well, the, the big idea behind conditions of enoughness, if we don't declare what is enough for us, what will satisfy us, we really won't experience satisfaction and enoughness. Mm. And it's not in the big picture of what's enough, you know, it's enough if I love people or if it's enough if I save this much money. It's really in a practical sort of day-to-day way. And so I use conditions of enoughness for things that are scary. I use uh, like maybe a writing project or I have a new idea for my business and I'm like, okay, let's put some, it's like parameters or containment around it that takes it out of that. Will they like it? Will it be enough? Will I get it done in time? You know, all those questions and, and brings it back to what can I do? What do I want? And what will satisfy me today? Mm. What will satisfy me, right? Not what's perfect or uh, glorious or end all be all. I mean, that's just that none of that is real because who can say it's perfect or end all be all or so Michelle loved it, but Bernice hated it, right? Right, right. (laughs) That is what it means to be human. So conditions of enough to say, okay, let me say in facts, not in opinions, what would be enough for this today? And you can do it for a big project and a finish line, but I like to do it in small increments. So would it be 500 words on my book? Would it be uh, a half an hour without checking email um, and just concentrating on this talk I'm going to give? I did that before we started. Um, Would it be a mile run? Would it be, um, you know, what, what, what is it? And you could see that immediately that's also step two. You put some kind of measurement on it. Excuse me. You put some kind of measurement on it where it you know when you've done it. And that sounds so doggone basic, but how many times do you get to the end of your day and you're like, I'm not enough again. And there's so many things on my list. There's so many things I didn't get to because there's no there there. There's no declaration of what's enough and there's no relationship to humanity. You think yeah. that you're this automaton that can just keep going and going. We don't embrace our limits. We don't respect them and create within them. And we don't refer to ourselves, what, what do I value in this? What will satisfy me? So conditions of enoughness are a practice of doing that. So facts, not opinions, mm-hmm. some kind of containment, something that you can go, I did what I said I would do. Yes. And then you really check in, is that something I can do today, given that I am a human and I am not this person who can just pretend I'm not going to eat all day or get up and stretch or go to the bathroom or have a sick kid or, mm-hmm. right, have this morning I woke up and the old dog's eyes all mushy and full of stuff. Oh. And it's like, okay, we got to come with that. You know, that stuff happens almost every day, right? Right, totally. And then the last thing is uh, of the four steps is you celebrate when you actually did what you said you would do, whether you feel like it or not, because that starts to give our brain that what we were talking about earlier was some kind of feedback loop of looking at what did I actually do versus what we tend to do because this is how our brains are built. What didn't I do? Totally. And the, and I promise you, the science is really clear. You keep focusing on what you didn't do, what you didn't do fast enough, good enough, what you didn't get done on your list. Yeah. You will fall into why bother just because of that. Wow. Not because you don't like your life, not because you don't like your work, not because you don't like your 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 friends, your partner, your cat, but because you actually are not paying attention to what's what you do do and what you what you do enjoy, and you're just putting you're you're just increasing you're strengthening the negativity bias. Yeah, strengthening the negativity bias. Right. There's yeah. plenty of science on yeah. that, and we don't we got to break that. Yeah. I mean, just let me tell you, I can just, I, I, when I, when I open Amazon on my browser for some, it goes right to my book. I don't know. It got stuck there. I don't know how to make it not go there. And you know, I, I got an inner, I got a review a few weeks ago, one word review dull that my book is dull. So where do my eyes go every time I'm on that page? That's the negativity bias. I don't go to the another 455 star reviews. I go to dull. I don't understand people like that anyway. Why bother take the time to do that? Exactly. Why bother? This would be a very good question to ask this person. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to have them on, Jen. I'm going to ask them why they bothered to do that. Um, This has been such a great conversation. You know, and it's, I feel like in a way, it's a little bit of an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. The heart of your book, why bother, whatever, just that message, people are listening. They take one thing away in terms of this message of why bother, finding the desires. What do you want the women to walk away feeling yeah. about this message? Cause you wrote this beautiful book 
about this and we need to, we really need to take this in. To me, what I walked away from in all of the writing and years of writing that became, did not become the books I thought it would, but became this book was yes. that life never gives up on us. We give up on life. We block life and we do it because of how we are, you know, how our brains work. We do it because of culture, not to, not to take it personally. So how can you, in these ways that embrace your humanity, embrace the way your brain works, embrace the fact that change makes you feel undefended, how can you make that safe to open to life? Beautiful. I love what you just said. That's it. You got to tweet that out today. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I'm, I mean, I that's love really that. what wow. I'm, I'm trying you. to live, you know, it's what I tried to live today when I was running on the trail. It's what I'll try to live for, you know, in this moment, these we've moments we've had together, Yeah, you know, and, and all of our, you know, so much of how we're structured as humans and so much of how, you know, we're structured as a culture makes that difficult. And we don't have to make that. We just can say, okay, that's the truth, but this is the only life I get. And life is just constantly saying, hi, I'm here. I'm here. Let's do something. Let's do something fun. <laughs> oh, true. I love it. Life does not give up on us. We give up on life. That's yeah. a beautiful place to end and very profound. Something to sit with for sure. Um, where can I direct people, Jen, to learn more about your work, your book? Yeah, just jenniferloudon.com. And we give you the first chapter of the book for free if you want to check it out. Thank you. Well, people, I feel like she just go get it. It's so good. And um, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you Thank for coming you. on. It's so nice to see you again. You look beautiful as always and vibrant. Oh, and um, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.